Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of My Words, Our Journey. My name is Monty, and let's jump right into chapter 33. Leonard walked into the office just as Kenny was hanging up the phone. Leonard could read his partner's face well enough to know that he had news to share. He just hoped it would give them a leg up on the case. He sat down and waited for Kenny to speak. That call was from an FBI agent who is curious about our case, Kenny explained. He wants to know if he can do a parallel investigation on the side. Within moments, they were on the net researching the agent. His name? Sean Trammell. Leonard placed a call to an old friend within the agency and confirmed the information they found. Trammell was a guy most would eagerly welcome to their case. He had helped on several cases in the past, some small and others high profile. In some, he had been able to eliminate certain suspects, and in others, he had been able to connect the dots in ways that had not occurred to anyone else. Leonard hung up the phone. It's all good. Call him back, he urged Kenny. Kenny dialed quickly. He was eager to put this monster behind bars. Leonard was just as excited to have the case revived by some new blood, but for a different reason. He just wanted to put this case behind him. Since he had come to realize his ambivalence towards the case, his usual restless nights, the tossing and turning, and of course, the more frequent nightmares, had become almost unbearable. It was hard for Leonard. He had not chosen to have any empathy for the defender of children. He was, however, a strong believer that one's past influences his present and his future. His past had led him to the conclusion that there was nothing lower than a child predator and that hell must be loaded with them. Often there are thin lines between right and wrong and even thinner lines between good and evil, Leonard remembered being told as he was a rookie. He knew he was not the first cop to experience such mixed emotions and was confident he would do the right thing when the time came. His instincts would take over and he would react appropriately. He just knew it. He also knew that Kenny would have a heart attack if he had even an inkling of some of the thoughts that had crossed his mind lately. Based on what he heard of Kenny's half of the conversation with Trammell, he knew they would be forwarding him the details of their case, the details that had not been leaked to the press or entered into the database. But how could this guy help from so far away? Sean was not surprised that Kenny Costco had called him back, but he was surprised and a little flattered by how quickly he had called back. As he put the phone back into his cradle, he suddenly realized he may have just put undue pressure on himself. While he wanted to be involved, he did not want to be anyone's savior, and from all the indications, this case had slowed to a crawl. He called home and asked Jill if he could work an hour or so later than usual so he could check out a hunch he had. His wife knew he didn't get too many thrills from his real job, so she was great about supporting his efforts when he found a case that got his blood pumping. He had not told the detective in Virginia about his hunch. If it panned out, they would know soon enough. If not, at least he had not filled anyone with false hope. After calling his second shift replacement and filling him in on the rather uneventful day, he rolled his chair to a small desk in the corner and picked up the phone. It was time to call in a favor or two. Chapter 34 In less than an hour, Kenny and Leonard collected everything they wanted to forward to Sean. There was a sense between the two that Sean's input could be the new push they needed in their case to get them moving, thinking, and hoping again. Today, they would be meeting with several members of the brass, but had not formed a joint decision about whether or not they should mention Trammell's involvement just yet. Egos aside, they were afraid to give their supervisors the impression they needed help doing their jobs. On the way down the hall to the meeting, Leonard made his call on the subject. 
Let's keep our new friend between the two of us. For now, he whispered to Kenny. He opened the door and let his colleague enter the room first, more than happy to slip in behind him. The remainder of their team had hit the streets early and had not been heard of since before lunch, which meant there was no news to report. Leonard watched Kenny work the room from the back to the front, shaking hands, smiling, and making small talk as he proceeded to the podium where he would answer questions. Here he goes again, Leonard thought. He, on the other hand, was more self-conscious in every way. He was not happy about the way he'd let himself go physically, and when it came to speaking in front of even the smallest group, Leonard had no confidence in himself. Even the thought of such a task caused him to have what could only be described as anxiety attack. Leonard was not envious of Kenny's rough, good looks either. He had been around long enough to know that a man who could attract the ladies could also could attract trouble. He had seen many men over the years destroyed by their own egos. Besides, looks fade. However, he was just the tiniest bit jealous about his partner's magic touch, the way he could walk into a room and command everyone's respect. Other than joining forces with Sean Trammell, the case had gone nowhere for quite some time. Consequently, Leonard was not sure how much longer Kenny would stick around. Their leads had dried up without result, and the evidence they had collected still waited for a suspect. Leonard could not understand why the brass had turned this meeting into a press conference. The only explanation he could come up with was that the higher-ups felt the need to remind the public that the police were in charge. But in charge of what? Sean printed and read the information he received from the detectives in Virginia. The police report, complete with detective notes on the murder, death of a Mr. and Mrs. Flasker caught his attention right away. He could not understand how their case fit in with this criminal's previous crimes. Who were the Flaskers? And what had they known? Had, there, had their man committed other crimes that had not been discovered yet? He scribbled these questions in the right-hand margin of his notes, and then reached into his small dorm room fridge and pulled out a sugar-free energy drink. He was waiting for a call back from an old friend, Earl Massey, who currently worked at the DMV offices in Southwest Virginia. Sean had a hunch that Earl would be able to verify the rationale behind the path he had been considering, or at least help him think of something better. They had not spoken for a few years, and Sean had not even been sure he was still with the DMV. Luckily for him, though, Earl had answered on the third ring and sounded pleasantly surprised to hear from his old friend. Now, three hours later, Sean wondered if all the time that had lapsed was a good sign or a bad. No one could understand where Sean had developed his passion for the world of crime. And considering the scar crime had left on his life, he wasn't sure he understood either. At the age of 17, Sean had been the star on his varsity baseball team. At the beginning of the season, he was a shoe-in for the all-star team, a situation sure to lead to a full ride at the college of his choosing. He was riding high. Furthermore, he was dating what he considered to be the prettiest girl in school. His buddy Earl had even helped him get a job at his father's antique store two nights a week, which allowed him to take Jill on nice dates instead of having to join their friends at fast food restaurants. Lost in his reverie, Sean picked up the framed photo he kept on his desk. Young faces stared back at him as he studied each from left to right. He figured that anyone that noticed the picture probably assumed he was trying to hold on to his youth, if they only knew. On the contrary, he was still trying to understand what happened that tragic day and why people do what they do to one another. So far, he had found no answers. He could retrieve that day from his memory as if it was yesterday. It was the day 
He did nothing, and his friend died. It was the day baseball died for him, too. They had only been on the team bus for about 20 minutes, headed to an away game that Sean had been looking forward to all summer. He had marked the game with the uh, Somerville Panthers on his calendar with a wide red circle. The Panthers had been the only team to beat them the year before, as a result, knocking them out of the state championship game. He could remember it all so clearly. The windows on the bus were halfway down to let the warm breeze. Pink Floyd played on the portable stereo one of the players had brought along. Jill and her friends were somewhere not far behind them, making the trip to support and cheer on their team. The jerking of the bus, the chaos, and the smell of the brakes and burning rubber were just the beginning. Some of the players fell to the floor of the bus while others were slammed against the back seats in front of them. From the back of the bus where he was sitting, Sean could see everything. Strangely, he was unaffected by the sudden stop. A car had passed on the left and it swerved directly in front of the bus, causing Mr. Stearns, the bus driver, to slam on the brakes to avoid hitting the car. After bringing the bus to a safe stop and surveying the condition of his passengers, Mr. Stearns exited the bus to get to the bottom of the commotion. Moments later, the driver of the speeding car boarded the bus with a shotgun in his hand and a look of pure hatred on his swollen face. He slowly walked down the aisle as his bloodshot eyes looked from side to side. Sean remembered feeling sorry for whomever the, grump, whomever the grumpy-looking man was seeking. Everyone on the bus avoided eye contact with him and pressed themselves against the side of the bus as he walked by. Halfway down the aisle, the crazed man stopped and leaned over one of the seats. He had found who he was looking after. With one strong pull, he had Aaron Cantor in his grasp, and without a word, he walked back up the aisle with the youth in tow. There was no sense of relief among the passengers on the bus that day. Fear for their lives was overtaken by fear for Aaron, who was limp in the man's clutches and appeared resigned to the position he was in. Once they were off the bus, the man pushed Aaron to the ground and pumped two rounds from the shotgun in the youth's chest. It all happened so fast, no one had time to react to what was taking place before the shots rang, taking with them Aaron's life and the innocence of the boys looking on. Two of the coaches had exited the bus to protest the taking of one of their players when the shots were fired. From behind his back, presumably out of his waistband, the deranged stranger pulled out a revolver and shot each man, stopping them both before they could speak a word. He then turned the gun on himself. Up to that point, Sean could clearly recall the details of the day, but everything from that point on was a complete blur. He could only guess what, that he had gone into shock. Later, they learned that the gunman was the boyfriend of Aaron's mother. He had beaten her beyond recognition after an argument earlier in the day and then hunted down the youth, Aaron, as a way to punish her further. The team did not play another game that year, and Sean never touched another bat or glove. Instead, he entered the military after graduation and became an Army Ranger. He excelled to the point that he was selected to train and work in intelligence field. As a result of watching his teammate and coaches senselessly die on the side of the road, he wanted to understand what makes people do the evil things they do. His end goal was to have a career with the FBI, where he could play a role in bringing down the country's worst criminals. It was more glamorous in his mind than in reality. Still, he hoped that by paying his dues, he would have an opportunity to get better assignments and, with time, be looked upon as an asset to have around. Why do we treat each other the way we do? That was the question 
driving his obsession. Chapter 35. After a slow morning on the shop floor, Miles tossed around his options for lunch. Did he want to dine out or munch on some chips from the vending machine while perusing the newspaper? It had been two days since his initial call to Amy Fritz, and he was hoping to see another Amy story in the paper very soon. He decided to have chips at his desk and was not disappointed. Today's article reached out to him even more blatantly. He wondered if she had verified the information he had given her and if the police might be working with her right now. After finishing the story, he put the paper down and thought long and hard about what he needed to do next. In her own way, it seemed that Amy had expressed disappointment in the man who claimed to want to protect children. Miles took it as a slap in the face. He could not even consider trying to make her understand the debacle that had led him to the sudden retreat from his mission. With only a few minutes left on his lunch break, he quickly pulled up the picture of the young journalist on his laptop screen. Was she the dangling carrot that would get him caught? As he stared at her picture, he knew that he had been pulled back in, and did not to deny it would be fighting the inevitable. This time, however, he would change his M.O. He knew that he was being urged by the powers that be to continue, but this time, he thought, he would be in control. A client was getting ready to renovate three small apartments, all connected, all on one level, and each one empty so that the new carpet could be installed. With a pounding heart and trembling hands, Miles searched for the installation schedule that was somewhere on his cockboard. Time's up, Paul Walker smartly remarked as he passed Miles' office. Let's sell some carpet, shall we? Without acknowledging the boss's pet, Miles continued his search until he found the schedule. He had one week and three days until the apartments were scheduled to receive their new forest green shag carpet. Plenty of time for him to consider his latest scheme. If he could pull it all together, he would put back he would be put back on the front page of the newspaper. He knew he needed to get back on the floor, but his body would not carry him. He had too many thoughts running through his head. Could he really pull this off? Could he, Miles Humphreys, really take out three child predators in one day? Three empty apartments, three child predators, one huge finale. Chapter 36 You're only as good as your last story, young lady. Remember that. Leaving Amy with only her hurt pride and bruised ego, her boss turned and walked away with those twelve encouraging words. Amy had been down on herself ever since. She had already gotten used to the feeling of being on her game, and it was not a feeling she was ready to relinquish. Her quandary was where to go next. Did she want to write a story about her phone call the other night? Part of her said yes. The other part said to wait and see if the man who claimed to be the defender of children called back. Either way, she could be screwed. She had not gone directly to the police with her information and instead had called on an acquaintance down at the precinct who openly had a crush on her. Under normal circumstances, Amy would not stoop to such a level. This, however, was not just any occasion, and it was the only way she could think of to determine if the caller had been real. Any other option would immediately draw too many questions that she was not prepared to answer. If she played this right, though, everything might work in her favor, or she could find herself in serious trouble for neglecting to report the initial call. Life is a gamble, she thought. Her admirer had taken only a short time to call her back with the information she needed. Without much effort, he had been able to nose his way into a conversation and find out exactly what she needed to know. 
Amy thanked him and promised to call the next week and maybe do lunch. Part of her minute. The new realization was exciting and chilling at the same time. Had she really talked to the murderer? Could she be in danger? Even though she believed that she had indeed spoken with the defender of children, she did not feel that she was in any immediate danger. She had no reason, he had no reason to hurt her, but he obviously had a reason for reaching out to her. And she knew it probably wasn't the fact that she had a pretty picture on the newspaper's website. The idea of him calling again gave her a feeling of anticipation, something she had not felt in a while. She even caught herself checking the phone to make sure it was not off the hook. Amy fell asleep around 10.30 with work spread across the foot of her bed. A few hours later, she was awoken by the ring of the phone. Her heart leapt into her throat. This could be the call. As the phone rang for the fourth time, she took a deep breath and picked it up. Did you verify my authenticity? She thought the man's voice sounded more nervous than before, if that was even possible. Off the cuff, she replied, how do I know you're not a cop or someone with the force pulling my chain? She did not know where that came from, but it was too late to take it back. That would serve what purpose exactly? Miles asked, trying to hide his nerves, which were affecting him more than the time before. Miles broke the awkward silence. For us to continue, I need you to believe I am who I say I am. And well, I have to believe you didn't call the police and are now working with them. But the problem is, we don't have any trust built up between us. You're assuming I have any interest in talking to a murderer. Amy did not want to appear too eager to encourage the stranger. Even so, she knew she'd have to be better prepared for this exchange in the future. Fair enough. I'll let you go for now. There was another awkward pause. Each could hear the other breathing. Amy, I do want you to trust me. So here is something that should establish my trustworthiness. Two nights from now, another child predator will be killed. Another animal taken off the streets. If you want to continue our conversations and have an exclusive interview with the defender of children right before his capture, use the word ambiguous three times in your next article. If you don't, well, it was nice speaking with you. And by the way, the predator will, will be found wearing only his left sock. The click at the other end of the line was deafening in her ear. Amy guessed she must have continued to hold the phone for another good 30 seconds before she set it down. What do I do now? If she went to the police, would they be able to stop the killing? Exclusive interview? What does this sick man have in mind? Maybe a working lunch where she took notes while he bragged about his exploits? Amy turned on the television to drown out her countless troubling thoughts. She wondered, why had he chosen her? Then she realized she would not have wanted him to chose anyone else. Ambiguous, three times? Miles was still up too, finally coming down off the high he'd gotten from his chat with Amy Fritz. He had not planned any of the conversation. It just came out, and now he was committed. He looked over his list of online acquaintances, trying to decide on four names. There were plenty to choose from, and Miles did his best to recall the conversations he had with these men. He would take one out two nights from tonight to show Amy he was who he said he was. The other three would wait for his grand finale one week later. Miles knew there would be no time of rest between now and then. So with coffee brewing, he began to make his checklist for each of the two scenarios. What, did he told, what had he told Amy? One sock on the left foot, 
or was it the right? That concludes episode 10. I hope you're enjoying the story. Things are going to move fast from here on out as Miles puts his plans in motion and his pursuers get closer. So join me next time for episode 11. And thank you. Have a great day.